Welcome to Empower Humans. Welcome again to the Empower Humans podcast. This is episode 135. And uh, first, I want to apologize. We did not get an episode out last week. I want to tell you a little story. Not much of a story, but uh, the day after Christmas, I started to get, uh, you know, chills and body aches. And uh, you might guess where I'm headed with this. But uh, by New Year's Day, I'd been tested and realized I had I was positive for COVID. Uh, so I went through this whole experience and I'm not, it's not a laughing matter. It was an unexpected thing, which is actually the only reason I laugh. Uh, you know, I, I stay pretty isolated, um, both in, in my business life and personal life, but you know, you do go out to the grocery store and stuff. I honestly, I think that may be where I got it. It might not exactly be, but, uh, you know, no offense to Albertsons or Costco or, you know, these are the stores I go to sometimes, uh, but that may be where I got it. <laughs> but in any case, it was not a pleasant experience. And uh, it took me a good couple weeks to really bust through this. I was having fevers and, uh, like I said, chills at night and I had to take uh, zinc and and, you know, various things. I bought some extra vitamins, vitamin C and things. I'm 40 years old. I'm grateful that... Uh, uh, you know, I was able to make it through all that. I do. I will be very serious and clear here. I've at least three people in my world that I know uh, have lost their lives. They were all a little bit older than me, uh, from age 68 up till age 80, and uh, lost their lives to this virus. So this is a very serious thing. I'm not going to spend too much time on it. That's one of the reasons that we didn't get another episode out last week. But I'm doing better now. So you know, I'm grateful for that. And I, as far as our episode today. We got to visit again with Kirsten Besky. And if you listen to that episode or if you haven't yet, I think it's episode 133. So now here we are two episodes later. Uh, we weren't able to cover everything. And I was left, to be quite honest, a little bit unsat- dissatisfied. No offense to her. It was only because we didn't get to cover everything I wanted to. Um, you know, sometimes I'm a little too thorough. And uh, we got into a lot of good stories and stuff about her life and things that brought her to this place where she's doing what she does now. Um, but go find her at apropositive.com. It's just like it sounds, letter A, P-R-O, positive, altogether.com. You could also email her, Kirsten, K-I-R-S-T-E-N, at apropositive.com. And uh, she has a Facebook group, Becoming Boundless, and she does all kinds of great free trainings and, and stuff. People can ask questions. Uh, she did some things recently regarding perfectionism and uh, imposter syndrome and all these sorts of things that a lot of people struggle with. Uh, so we covered all kinds of fascinating ground today. I want to be able to jump right in there here to the interview here in a moment uh, because I talked a little bit about COVID here up front, so we're taking some time. But um, before we jump into that, I want to remind you, as always, you are absolutely priceless. Don't let anyone, anything, uh, what they do, think, have, feel uh, about you or in general in life, uh, including yourself, don't let anyone change that reality in your mind because you, you won't be in tune with reality if you think you're anything less than priceless. By priceless, I mean you're above the monetary systems of this world. Uh, you're worth more than that. We did a podcast some time ago called You Are Priceless. So go look that up, empowerhumans.com slash podcast. There's a little search bar. You can uh, search the words You Are Priceless and it'll, it'll pop up. <laughs> but in any event, please remember that. And that's a common ground thing that we all share. And the second thing is you're not alone, especially with all the things people are going through right now. Uh, so many various things. You know, in my case, I've got kids out of school. They're eight and 11, uh, two boys. And so they're doing, you know, Chromebooks from home. You may be able to relate whether or not you have kids. You're, you, this whole COVID thing, in some ways, it's just driving people nuts. People want to get out. People want to go to restaurants and go to sporting events and go to Disney World and <laughs> all the things. I'm right there with you. I want to get on an airplane and go to Hawaii and do all kinds of amazing stuff. Uh, I think we're at the beginning of the end. I want to give you some positive vibes. Let's uh, you know generate these positive vibes together and project them out into the world together. And uh, with this vaccine and whatnot. Uh, I, I really believe that we can be at the beginning of the end, but we got to unite better, especially in the United States here where we are. If you're listening anywhere else in the world, I, I commend you and love and appreciate you as well. But the United States, as for those of you in the other places in the world, uh, very, very divided. And your places, you may be as well. There may be some division. We've got to unite. We share a very small speck of the universe together, and we need to treat it as such. This is our home. And uh, we share it together. <laughs> it's, uh, I'm not going to go off on that too much. I want to remind you of our challenges. But again, you're priceless. You're not alone. And the challenges are uh, study, number one. Go find 
there's too many resources to have any excuses, to be quite honest. Study, learn, progress, grow. Find whatever works for you, whatever resonates with you. Uh, I keep uh, saying, the, you know, these apps, Hoopla Digital, uh, Libby, plugs into lots of local library systems, at least in the United States. And there's probably other apps, depending on various places throughout the world. Uh, not to mention YouTube and other resources, documentaries, all kinds of things you can learn and grow and books galore, tons of self-help stuff. And that's a lot of topics we cover in our podcast. Whatever works for you, it's very, very important. We talked about that in this podcast. So listen for that uh, topic about the real importance of studying and staying in tune like a, like any musical instrument. We've talked about that before, too. The second challenge, make great moments. You know, I just got my boys, uh, believe it or not. Uh, my sons play video games like a lot of kids do. And so I got them these cool gaming chairs uh, for the holiday season and they just barely arrived. It's a whole long story I'm not going to get into here, but uh, a couple orders were were uh, canceled and refunded and it just took some time and finally they, they got their gaming chairs. So uh, I realized, okay, I can spend time with them putting these chairs together, show them how to follow instructions and, and left loose, right tight kind of stuff about <laughs> screwing things together and all that. So make great, whatever that is, it could be simple stuff like that. It could be surprising each other. Find ways to really romanticize your life and make great moments. You can do it. We can all do it. I need to do better with it. Uh, but these are the pillars in our lives that will stand, uh, you know, with all the imperfections and mistakes we will have made. These are pillars that will overshadow all of that when we come to the end of our lives that we tried and made great moments and surprised each other and loved each other and spent time with each other and taught, in my case, taught our kids right, tight, left, loose kind of stuff. Uh, so make great moments, study. And of course, the last challenge is let's keep doing this podcast together. Sorry for the long intro. I wanted to let you know what's been going on, uh, but I'm really excited to bring you this interview. Kirsten brought us tons of gold today, really priceless stuff. So uh, without further ado, let's jump into our interview. Here we are again with uh, Kirsten Besky, part two of our interview. Here we go. We are back again with Kirsten Besky. I'm excited, actually, because we had a nice conversation, you know, a couple episodes ago, and uh, and we just got so in-depth, and we started, we talked about a lot of stories and things, right, Kirsten? <laughs> yeah, we, it was a story time. Uh, yeah, and then you had to run, I think you had uh, client business to take care of and stuff, so I said, well, let's do a sequel, which is actually maybe works out a little bit better, because now we can get even more in-depth in some of these uh Topics. And I'm always fascinated by these topics that you focus on as far as limiting beliefs and inter interrupting patterns. And uh, you were talking a little bit ago before we started about some things you've done and taught some folks lately about perfectionism and, and imposter syndrome. <laughs> All this stuff is fascinating. And I think everybody can relate. Um, but how are you doing, first of all? Yes, thanks. I'm I'm doing well today. Uh, the, the day we are recording this is Inauguration Day. And yeah. For me, at least, um, it's just such a fresh start day for democracy in America. No matter what you you know, which way your candidate went, um, the fact that we in America can have a peaceful transfer of power is really a small miracle at times. And so every time we yeah. successfully do it, I have a lot of admiration for our country. So I've I've got a little country pride going today. Yeah, well, me too. I mean, we uh, we Americans a lot of times take for granted what we have here. And boy, we got to stop doing that because it could go away. We did have some bumps, as everybody knows, in this uh, process, but it could have been worse. And hopefully, you know, we get back to a smooth place here in America, but we shall see. Time will tell, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, time will tell. And I, I uh, like to kind of think about um, democracy in its most, it's so imperfect. Uh, and it is, I think, as Joe Biden said today, fragile. Yes. But we move forward and we have this magical system of checks and balances. And it, we you know, kind of muddle through towards, um, you know, a higher elevated place and other systems of government. And, and I was thinking how that really is a nice metaphor for kind of the human psyche as well. We, we have our, we're, we have the wiring that we're dealt with and, and yet we, you know, we have to struggle through imperfectly and we have to try things and, and your heart checks your mind and your mind checks your soul, you know, like, and it works all together and then you get to move forward, um, you know, in its beautiful, imperfect way. So I was thinking today about that a little thinking interesting how that the similarities there yeah for sure that's you know and it's very interesting when you start to look at life that way you start to see all these parallels and all these areas about you know like you just said about our hearts minds souls and how we all 
kind of checks and balances with ourselves. And we also have checks and balances in government, hopefully, that work without too much corruption and nonsense as well. Right, <laughs> right. Same can happen on an individual level or on a full national level in any country. Um, but yes, that's and I like that perspective. And it is a, it is a momentous day, regardless of where people stand on the political spectrum. Uh, just, you know, anytime we have some transition or, you know, there's so many great things we do in America. Thanksgiving. I don't know any other nation that does Thanksgiving. Of course, we have our Independence Day. Most countries have something like that. And uh, President's Day and all these beautiful things. But they should always be reminded. Veterans Day, all these military-related, Memorial Day. Just, just remind us. I, I don't want to go too far into this. But man, oh, man, we could go really deep into national you know, pride and just gratitude, <laughs> just that, right. we to, that we get to have this and let's stop all the anger and the nonsense and let's work together. It is called the United States after all, let's, let's be more united. I'll get off my soapbox, <laughs> okay. yes. but you know, piggyback is some of what you said Absolutely. on, on that note. Uh, I think it's real important. We talk about this limiting beliefs thing because we started to talk about it last time. Um, Let's kind of, you know, talk a little bit about just kind of maybe a refresher, limiting beliefs, how this happens, what that is. And then let's talk about, you know, some of the things we do about it. But tell me about limiting beliefs. Where does that come from? How does that differ person to person? And what have you found as you work with people? Right, right. <laughs> a lot of questions. Yeah, it, I mean, it's a fascinating topic. Um, and it sometimes is really at the core of what it takes to make personal change, you know, pers meaningful personal change. Yeah. And since that's kind of my area of expertise, I help kind of uh, guide people through personal transformation um, that understanding what limiting beliefs are becomes a core piece of the, of the practice. And so um, we, as, as uh, in the course of human development, we get most of our hard wiring. So if you think about, a human being as if it were say a computer, you know, like old fashioned PC sitting on your desk. Yeah. Um, you know, we intake information and that would be like your keyboard and your monitor. And that's kind of like your conscious mind. And then we have all of the programming that we have um, kind of taken in over all of the years of our lives. Mm -hmm. And that's more of the, the programs that are stored on the hard drive um, in our wiring. Yeah. And so we start getting our programming as soon as we're born and probably before we're born, right? They, now that they know more what goes on in utero and some programming comes through our genetics and some programming comes to our environment. Um, yeah. And so we get these schemas embedded in our, in ourselves um, that become just our reality. So you can imagine if we take like a really, um, Let's take a very simple example. If you were born in the uh, near the equator and you celebrate the holiday of let's go with Christmas, um, yeah. you know, in your mind, Christmas will be related to um, a weather pattern, right? That is not the same Christmas that a weather pattern that someone who grew up in the northern hemisphere, you <laughs> yeah. know, would have. And so your whole concept of Christmas may involve a palm tree or, you know, whatever that looked like for that environment, whereas someone else's yeah. may involve, a, you know, a, a fir tree, right? Um, and, and so it, it becomes kind of your felt, your lens through which you view the world. Mm -hmm. uh, and the problem is that sometimes we don't recognize that we're just viewing reality through that lens. And we just think it's absolutely cut in stone that this is how things are. Um, and then we operate our lives based on those premises and that doesn't always serve us. Hmm. And that's when our belief system, instead of just simply being a belief system becomes a limiting belief system. So uh, hmm. in, in my life, uh, when I was practicing law and I was a lawyer, um, I was unhappy at a certain point. Um, and then I started to think, what else can I do? And I had very limited scope of things I was imagining that I could do. You know, I was like, well, you went to law school and you do this. So here's this very narrow, you know, slice of pie that you can now do. Whereas, and so that my limiting belief system was that I had to stick in my field of study. 
um, because that would be irresponsible, right? Mm. By my that the way I was wired to believe is that if you were not to, you know, capitalize on that wonderful education that you had, that that would, you know, that just isn't done. And so the reality is that was a limiting belief. And once mm. I was able to have then my coach that I hired kind of explode that limiting belief and just kind of say, well, I don't understand, Kirsten, why can't you go back and get your master's degree? And my only answer to that was, well, I can't, that would be just too fun, right? That would be like the most fun thing I could possibly think of doing because it just was, I'm, I guess I'm one of those geeks that just loves learning new things. And, and so, um, and so it was only through exploding my limiting belief that I had to stick within the field of law that I then was able to explore more of the options and actually go into a field that was more aligned with myself and able to affect more people more positively, blah, 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 blah. Right. So sometimes we have to have, um, the ability to kind of see, oh, this is actually just one way of looking at this. And if I could look at this a different way, the possibilities are exponential. Yeah. Wow. There's so much, so many places we can go with that. Cause you just, you just opened massive can of worms. So we got a good base of a conversation here, really good stuff. And by the way, I can relate to the whole thing because I actually spent a couple Christmases in South America uh, where it's, as many may know, is summertime at, during December, mm-hmm. uh, especially Christmas. And so, the, you know, a lot of times in Latin American culture, they'll go out in the streets at midnight and this, maybe they'll open, you know, people in America do that. But in a lot of places in America, it's very cold and it definitely is winter because we're in the Northern Hemisphere. So it's an interesting thing when you pan out to the big picture to realize both, I mean, there's so many places you can go with this topic, but to see other people's perspectives on the world and to see, boy, just how limiting your view and belief system unintentionally may have been just because of where you, you know, came from, like you talked about genetics, environment, nature, nurture kind of stuff. Uh, so I, I can, I guess my point is with that, I can relate if nothing else. And I think a lot of other people can, who may have been in Northern versus Southern hemisphere is a different time or other, you know, all kinds of things in the world, different languages, different cultures, <laughs> different Absolutely. approaches to different approaches to family and, and all these different things. But um, so with, with the whole thing with limiting beliefs, how does that, given that we talked a little bit about this, you know, we mentioned the thing about uniting our country and stuff. How does this work on the outward realm of, of how we associate with each other? Um in the sense of, you know, we've gotten to this place that's so polarized in so many ways in America, at least. And I think globally where it's us versus them. Is there a way that we can break through that in terms of some of the concepts you teach and, you know, the limiting belief factor of, oh, I'm just better than them and they're scum. And they, some people go so far as to think groups should die and cease to exist. I mean, it's awful. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. What, what are, what are well, our thoughts yeah. on that? I mean, there's so many places we can go, but let's start there a little bit. I know that's a weird well, place to start. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's an excellent question. Um, and I bet if we could solve this pre- question, you know, we can, there, there you are answer to world peace right there. Right. Um, I know you have, I, mean, the I, I, I believe that um, most people, once you get to know them at a, at the level of, um, a, a, their whole being, their whole person, their fears, their vulnerabilities, their hopes, their dreams. Yeah. Most people will find that they can uh, understand each other. Um, whether it's just because every um, you know parent loves their kid, or um, everybody has to eat food, right? You know, there yeah. there's always going to be some way you could connect with another person, no matter how different your your political viewpoints or uh, other viewpoints could be that being said um we all have a certain need for safety right so so when we perceive someone else as a threat we don't get close enough to get to know them at that level and sometimes that's actually good right i mean you actually are protecting yourself because some people in fact are dangerous or or will behave in a dangerous way in certain situations yeah so I think that the safety factor uh, is the thing that shuts us down from um, being able to understand each other mm-hmm. better. So that fear, the fear factor, and the, I, I always call it tribalism, the idea that we only trust people 
that are, are on our team or in our tribe or um, in our community, um, that then that, that is our safety zone that makes the limiting belief that other people and other communities you know, who don't hold the same value systems may not be safe. So then you never get that cross kind of, we'll call it cross cultural communication going so that you can start to understand each other. Mm. That's a really good point. Yeah. It's uh, you know, the interesting thing is we have so much more in common as human beings than any differences. Uh, Like you said, very basic things of just our basic human needs and the things that we worry about and, everything from money to health to family, children, and so on. And, uh, and not to mention, we literally share common ground on a planet that's a very small right. speck at best of the universe. And we ought to probably respect this, just the fact that we share this tiny common ground together and take care of each other more. But again, I'm on a soapbox more of, I mean, I think most people would agree if we're being honest. It's, but you know, breaking through these these barriers we create for ourselves and or are just created because of how we were wired. And like you mentioned, very important point about safety and the fear element. Um, th- there's a lot of places we could go with that too, but let's talk about parenting as well. Because You talked about your kids last time and some things that had happened and shifted in your life because of that. But how, how can parents do better in terms of you know, some, some parents will almost force or push a child a certain direction. Like, Oh, you need to be a lawyer. You need to, you know, you're going to go to this school cause I went there or, or whatever. How can mm-hmm. us parents do better to kind of be open to our children and, and help them have the most successful life rather than kind of impose our own limiting <laughs> beliefs that the definition of your successful life is what I decided because of my life. Oh, yeah. Oh, that makes complete sense. And, you know, you you think that we get more involved as as humans, um, that would happen less and less. But unfortunately, um, we don't, it doesn't always work out that way. Um, And sometimes it's, you know, parents don't know any differently, right? Because they are, they were raised a certain way, and they have their belief system and and mindset cemented into place. And so they don't actually understand that there may be an alternative way to move forward parenting. Mm -hmm. Um, So if if you were raised by very strict disciplinarian of a parent, and it worked for you in the sense that you grew up to a functional, you know, be a functional human, and you were never exposed to any other way of being a parent, it's more likely than not that you'd end up being a strict disciplinarian, unless, of course, you hated it so much that you, you know, swung the pendulum the other way and maybe, or had no discipline. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we do uh, parents a disservice by not having a more, um, you know, a dialogue out there on what is good parenting. Um, And I, and as I'm sure you are aware, each decade, we get more information about what's helpful in parenting and what's not helpful in parenting. And much like the, the diet phases of, you know, crazes of all the different, you know, decades of life, you know, sugar-free, fat-free, South Beach, Mm -hmm. you know, all the different diets. (laughs) Um, You know, the parenting, parenting has gone through a lot of different phases as well, from hands-on, hands-off, more disciplinarian, uh, less disciplinarian, positive reinforcement, um, you know, free, I think free-range parenting is another phrase. Um, (laughs) So, so, you know, there's as many styles of parenting as there are, you know, stars in the sky, I have to imagine. But that being said, the balance for each uh, family uh, in parenting, in my opinion, and of course, I am not a parenting expert. I just, um, I have worked with a lot of adolescents uh, in my um, psychotherapy practice over the years, and also um, a parent of a couple kids. And so I think the goal these days in parenting is to really try to let the child um have a combination of structure um, and stability that you have through rules um and procedures uh and then also be able to explore and become kind of their the self that they are that's that's uh, natural to them and not to force them into this or that pigeonhole, let them explore all the different things that are out there so that they can eventually, when they're a little older, make those good decisions for themselves as to what they want to do. 
And so it's a balance between keeping your kids safe and alive through your rules and safety needs um, and, and letting them explore and learn, which always, as I think we may have talked about last time, just the act of learning always involves some amount of failure. You know, think of the stereotypical, how do you you learn that uh, you don't touch a hot stove? Well, you learn it by touching a hot stove and (laughs) you figure out that it hurts. Right. So so that's the, um, the hard part of parenting is watching your kids learn things the hard way. Uh, Right. And, um, and, and so if, if there, there's a balance between being so strict that your kids never even have the freedom to mess up. Right. Because then they don't get to learn those lessons until much, much later. Um, and then obviously the, the opposite end of the spectrum being not enough structure and too permissive in that, in that we have learned that kids will um, not thrive because they will feel insecure if they, there's not at least a minimum amount of care and structure that the parents give the kids. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. No. And that's good points. I, you know, and, and parenting or otherwise, it's really worth uh, you know, applying the principle of kind of what's the end game, uh, you know, like mm-hmm. Stephen Covey, one of his habits is begin with the end in mind. And I think most people and even experts would agree in a simple sense, when it comes to parenting, you you want to raise kids who can make wise, healthy, smart decisions on their own, understanding nobody's going to be perfect. We'll talk about this perfectionism here in a little bit too, but uh that they can do that on their own. That's what a lot of these, you know, I've read and listened to books like scream free parenting and parenting with love and logic. And not everybody listening is going to be a parent, but most people have had some parenting experience in their life with their own parents or foster, whatever the situation is. But um, when it gets down to it, when we talk about, cause we're talking about kind of specific situations here. Um, what's the first step when we face limiting beliefs, really, whether it's from a parenting standpoint, life in general, or finances. Um, I mean, it seems like the first step really quite simply is to, to, you know, acknowledge <laughs> and face these. What are, what are some of the steps to kind of work through these things? Well, yeah. So it's a great question. So the really, the, the hardest part, or I think the most challenging part is to even go looking for them. Right. Because um, they're invisible to us before we can bring them to light because they're just baked into us uh, and we believe them to be truth. Uh, So, uh, for example, um, one of the exercises I do with my clients is uh, and this is kind of like a standard test in the field of psychology is these quick answers where you you start a sentence and then the person just puts a word in that that that. It's the first thing that comes to their mind, you know, with like a little, you know, three second gap. So when I talk about money mindset, we do some of those um, aphorisms around money. So, you know, money doesn't grow on, you fill it in, Phil. (laughs) Money doesn't grow on what? Trees, right? Um, You know, or um, a penny saved is a penny yeah, earned. These are right. sayings. Yeah. Right. So, and, and we could do this in any area. And what it does is show you that somewhere in you, you have kind of heard this message and internalized it to the point where it comes up like immediately, you know, snapping my fingers here. Um, and then the question is to take a look at that thing that popped up. Um, so if I say parenting is blank and you say hard, then we get to look at, okay, well, so what, what does that mean? And why do you think parenting's hard when Betty Sue over here um, said parenting is a joy, right? You know, and so we get to then kind of excavate for lack of a better word, you know, dig in and find, find those limiting beliefs, dust them off, take a look at them and decide whether there's something we want to keep because we think it's serving us or if it's something we'd like to reprogram um, because it's not serving us. And I specifically use the word reprogram because um, we can't erase these belief, the belief systems that come into us and are, you know, so embedded in our system. There's not really an erase button for those mm-hmm. because they're so deeply ingrained in us. But what we can do is do a rewrite and and start a new track, you know, thinking of those vinyl records again, you know, start a new groove and, um, and repeat 
the new thought pattern. And I love the phrase habit of thought, right? So, you know, you think we have habits of behavior. Everyone knows what that is, but we also have habits of thought. Yeah. So the, the trick is to figure out what's that habit of thought that I have? Is it serving me? And then what would I rather have as a habit of thought? And how do I start to integrate that into my day um, and my thought patterns over time? And with that time, then comes the new groove and then the new pattern of thinking. So um, you get to actually change that paradigm in your head. Uh, and then that affects how you behave in the world. And that affects how your life is. Mm. Yeah, that's it's a really uh, important point, and I've and I've heard and read and all these things about these topics a little bit too. Like you said, the first thing that I thought was interesting you said is is they can see these paradigms, these beliefs that they have. We don't necessarily have to call them limiting beliefs up front, but they can decide for themselves: is this a limiting belief? Is this something I'd like uh, to change? and and replace but it's real important that, that we use word like replace because it's 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 kind of like you create a vacuum if you just like try to pretend it's not there and something has to replace a certain habit whatever that habit thought process is um how do you know correct me if i'm wrong but how do we get to that next step where we where we can then legitimately and more permanently replace things once people have decided and and realized, oh, I want, I want something different than what's going on in my actions, behaviors, thought processes, limiting beliefs. How do we get to that next place where we then replace it with something more healthy, assuming that is the correct thing? That's what I've you know, read and studied. <laughs> right, right. Well, so that's where the, um, the hard work is and in, in the work that I do with my clients is around yeah. um, how do you, because what it is, 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 if you think of a habit, right, um, we, talk, we think about habits like um, smoking or drinking alcohol habits, right? They, they always say, oh, it takes at least, you know, 30 days to change a habit. And so that, that's actually, you know, somewhat true, depending on the, the complexity of a habit is mm-hmm. how long it takes to reprogram the habit. So it can be longer than 30 days, it can be shorter than 30 days, but it takes some time, there's a time factor in reprogramming any habit. So when you're reprogramming a habit of thought, um, you have to work uh, to, it's kind of a, you have to get it into your uh, subconscious level. So I don't know if we talked about this before, but Mm -hmm. we only use our conscious brain for about 5% of what we do in the world. Um, And our subconscious is actually operating the other 95% of things. So when we're talking about limiting beliefs, they're actually held in that subconscious area of our lives, yeah. of, of our minds and, um, and our habits. So the reprogramming has to happen. Uh, it's not enough to just co- have a conscious thought about it. And you think about that, that's kind of what sheer willpower is, right? When we are in a um, cold knuckle, something like I'm going to stop having coffee, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. today, or uh, that's, an, um, that's not the best example, but you know, or sugar. And then you just like power through the actual reprogramming so that you just are like, you know, trying just using your conscious mind to will yourself to being different. And we also know that that doesn't always work, right? Um, Because that isn't take, that is trying to eradicate a pattern rather than establish a new positive pattern. Um, So the work is around figuring out what you want to, to have your new subconscious habit of thought be, and then like make that into some kind of a phrase or write it somewhere or um, have a, a each day um, ritual around it. And then make sure that that's embedded into your daily practice for, you know, the 30 days or, that it's going to take to even start having it become embedded in you in a way that those neural pathways are, you know, the neurons are connecting up. Um, and they say the neurons that fire together, wire together. So each time you practice it, you're kind of think of a blowtorch welding, right? You're welding your neurons more and more into a solid pattern. So by 30 days, you've got yourself a really solid neural neuro pathway as opposed to, um, 
you know, a, a more dissociated neural pathway. And that's why habits will fade when they're not practiced, because then the neurons get looser and looser in their attachment. And then you lose those connections in those pathways. Yeah, this is very fascinating to me. And it always has been. We've talked about it in various ways throughout time on the podcast, too. But um, it's in my experience personally and with others in life, a lot of it boils down to how we feel uh, as certain things. You know, we talk about like neurotransmitters, we've, you know, dopamine and oxytocin and serotonin and endorphins, all these things that make us feel certain things. You know, oxytocin is a kind of a bonding thing between people. And it's something that happens in our brain and when people have sex or, you know, hug somebody or various things, I'm just throwing out examples, but, and then it seems like sometimes these things get maybe more often than we'd like to admit as human beings get a little twisted where it's this, I'm compensating for something, whether I have, and, and people deal with different things, right? Anxiety. So some, some people might turn to food, drugs, sex, different things just to kind of ease the burden of this other thing that they're dealing with in life um is what what are your yeah i guess thoughts or insights on that topic because again there's this compensating thing that i've observed and has even happened with me in some ways that gets down to how we feel and maybe kind of twisting of how we receive the you know uh, these neurotransmitters in our brain for lack of a better word uh, of receive um just like how we feel in general and a lot of it applies even with social media and stuff too, because it's the, these companies, you know, I don't want to get out too off the beaten path here, but they've learned how to manipulate <laughs> us with dopamine and stuff into, uh, you know, let's open this and that app and, and spend time on there. Anyway, I'm giving you a mouthful. What are your thoughts on the whole compensating thing and the neurotransmitters aspect, if any, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And uh, so I, I heard one thing I heard you say is that we often act um, based on how we feel. Yes. Um, and, and I will 100% agree with that. And I think that for people who think that they're going through their day, making their decisions on some kind of logic or, you know, real conscious level, it, it, I think that that's actually more of an illusion or a myth. And that more often than not, humans do act on how they feel. So they are attracted to things that make them feel good and they shy away from things that make them feel bad. And they mm -hmm. then invent all kinds of stories and meaning around that to make sense of it when it's really that simple. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I, I think that um, we, we, because humans have an imagination and we have the ability to make stories, we are making meaning every second of the day and we are inventing stories that tell, you know, that kind of hold a thread of, of, of a story for our lives all the time. And so the feeling is, is often really the driving factor. And so, like you said, dopamine hits um, that you hear about app programmers, um, you know, having a science of how to stimulate the dopamine production in a person at a rate that will keep them addicted to a game. Yeah. Um, you know, there's people out there that are doing that for a living to figure out how to make the most addictive um, game or app or whatever, you know, program that there is. And um, you're right. We're being manipulated to basically become addicted. Um, if you think of addiction, if you view addiction as kind of that um, reward cycle that can get triggered and triggered and triggered. So yeah, um, because it feels good, you start to do it mindlessly. Um, and you don't realize that's exactly what's happening is you're getting a little dopamine reward every time you click your inbox and see a message or <laughs> get a text, you know, tone or a notification. So, yes. um, you know, we do have to be aware of that. And the people, some people's brains um, and bodies are more prone to, um, you know, more sensitive to that, and then potentially more prone to addiction. Yeah, um, yeah. and then other people's aren't for, you know, we don't really understand why. Um, and so it's a real, uh, risk to, to kind of go through life without being aware that this is, um, the way that our brains work. Um, because sometimes you can go so far down the path that you end up, you know, making poor choices because you're chasing the dopamine. Yeah. 
when you could be making wiser choices if you were just aware that that's what you were doing. Mm. Yeah. And that's a great, great point. All those points you made. It's uh, it's interesting what happens in families and genetically and stuff, because like you said at the beginning, our environment versus genetics, we talk nature versus nurture. Uh, it seems, and there's some studies, I think, that kind of show this as well about, you know, if our ancestors made choices uh, more towards, well, I'm going to turn to alcohol, for example, a lot of times that tendency is then passed down through the generations. Someone can, can become conscious of, you know what, this isn't maybe the healthiest pattern that I would like for my life. And then they've got to, like you said, do the work to kind of replace that and, and reprogram that pattern, that belief system, that habit. Um, but I, uh, you know, as we talk about, we, we said a little bit ago, we were going to talk about perfectionism a little bit as well. And I know we're a little bit all over the map, but there's tons of great <laughs> material in all these little destinations. And this is tip of the iceberg. People can, by the way, where can people find you since we're on that topic so that they can go more in depth? I'm sure. We have your um, Becoming Boundless group on Facebook, of which I'm a part. Right, right. So there's always the Becoming Boundless group on Facebook if you um, search for Becoming Boundless. And um, my company name is April Positive. Um, that I run the group out of um, a little, you know, a pro positive um, uh, that you can find me there. Uh, I also have a website uh, that's my business website. So it's www.apropositive.com. And and I answer email at Kirsten at apropositive.com as well. So um, if someone wanted to reach out directly, they could find me through Facebook um, or through the website or through Kirsten at aprilpositive.com um, for the email. Mm. So I'm um, happy Good. to you know, work with anyone uh, who has questions. Yeah, that's great. And it's nice to have that, that connection, that personal. And I can attest to all the things you do in the group and you do a lot of like group trainings and amazing, just really valuable priceless stuff that you're bringing people. So go join that group. I, again, I don't mean to, to get off topic a little bit too, but it's important people know where to find you just to go deeper into all these areas. And on the topic of perfection, that's something I've struggled with. And I've come to realize what it boils down to a lot of times is there's an insecurity underneath perfectionism, a fear of uh, failure or various things, a scarcity mindset, maybe if it's, if it's financially related. Um, what, what were some of your insights when it comes to perfectionism? and why that exists, how maybe we overcome it and so on. Right. Well, about what you just said was spot on. Um, and I, I did a little research around perfectionism at some point. And what I didn't realize um, is that uh, there's an APA study so um, that they're usually quite reliable that, that uh, found that from 1989 to 2016, uh, perfectionism in the United States rose, um, you know, statistically significantly. Wow. And so I was thinking, you know, to myself, I wonder what that correlated to. Um, and obviously we have had the rise of the internet and computers um, and social media in that time period. Yeah. But even more interesting than that was that the, there was a rise in rates of depression and anxiety that correlated with the rise in perfectionism. Mm. Um, so, you know, so you can imagine there's millions of theories out there about why this is, whether it's our capitalism or our overemphasis on the meritocracy concept that we have in America that, you know, if you work hard and, um, you know, you can succeed type of thing. Um, but so, the, uh, you know, if you think about social media and how, uh, everyone's lives are carefully curated and on display um, that that uh, perfectionism could kick in as a as you said as a protective way of guarding against exposure right um, so that if we, we we develop this belief system that if we if we are if we give nobody any rough edges to grab on and criticize that that no one will understand you know, that we're not perfect or that we might have some vulnerabilities, um, mm -hmm. you know, so uh, that that deeper level of insecurity and the need for human connection, uh, which I think is the key here, the, the desire to connect with other people 
is what leads people to have this false belief that they need to be per- uh, perfect to connect. Absolutely. When, when um, you know, in my experience, really, it's our mutual kind of what we were talking about before, our our collective imperfectness that actually is the thing that that we all have in common that binds us together. Yeah, that's really great, and and I and I think it underscores also the importance of constantly, you know, we always tell our audience, study, keep studying, start studying, whatever your situation and, and, and to grow and learn and progress that way. Uh, because as you study truth, especially, or even if you're just reading something fiction or whatever, you're stimulating your mind uh, and, and being reminded of these realities of humanity where we don't get lost down some rabbit hole of, okay, I need drugs to exist or I need this or that. And, and, and realize the common ground that exists between us and the abilities that we have and the potential and, and just realize all these truths that surround us. And, and then again, constantly being reminded as we study good things. <laughs> right. Right. And I love that ourselves in tune, like, a, like an instrument. <laughs> right. Yeah, go ahead. Right. Right. Well, and that's, that's really um, exactly on point because one of the things that when we work with perfectionism, because perfectionism is really kind of a combination of, having like excessively high personal standards mm-hmm. and then being overly critical to yourself um, in, you know, in your own self-evaluation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what it ends up being super important is to, to distinguish between the desire to be perfect, um, which is kind of um, undergirded by this belief that you're only going to be valued by others if you're perfect, mm-hmm. right? So, so there's that desire to be perfect so that I have, and we'll just say, we'll use the word love and connection um, because I will be valued if, if I'm perceived as perfect versus a healthier desire to excel, right? To a desire to have high personal standards, just to, um, to actually um, what, like you were talking about, learn and grow and be the best version of whatever you're trying to be that human striving that's healthy. That's normal. Um, and we can all strive to excel as much as we want. And no, that's not pathological. It's not, and it won't get in your way. Um, it's just when your desire to be perfect, it's up against the reality that we aren't perfect. That sometimes can get people stuck in that, um, kind of analysis paralysis. You don't act because you're not sure whichever way to act, whether it will be approved of or not. And it can really hold back people moving forward towards their goals and dreams because, they think, well, if I, I do that next step towards that dream and I screw up, you know, life's over because then I'm not perfect. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're thinking of the learning process as kind of what I think of always as a stairway of learn, fail, fa- you know, move forward, learn, you know, fail, learn, fail, learn. And you're going each level higher and making this hand motion, you know, higher and higher each time as you learn, you will never get to be able to grow like that if you're scared of failing because you're being a perfectionist. Oh yeah. That's really deep right there too, because you know, what we do as people is unintentionally inadvertently, a lot of times enslave and imprison ourselves. (laughs) I mean, let's be real. And I think it's very important that we wake up to that reality, that that's a tendency that we all, if you're listening to this, Oh, I do that. I need to beat myself up. No, you don't. You're not alone. We, most of us, uh, humans do that in some way, but if we wake up to it and realize this is what I'm doing and whether that's, you know, worrying so much about others' opinions and, or, uh, you know, whatever the case might be, but also just realizing you're a work in progress. There's, you're not going to achieve some perfection in this life. I'm sorry to break the news to all of us. Uh, the, I think it's very, there's very clear evidence of that over the, however many uh, millennia humans have existed here and so on. But, uh, but just to realize, I mean, it's very freeing. You can break the chains and bust down the prison. That was all a delusion to begin with that we just like created. Here's a prison. Oh, I don't want to get out of my shell because if I go do this or that thing, that is my dream, I might be judged and, or might fail in some capacity. And so you, you're stuck in this like made up prison. It's, yeah, it's really a right. scary We're, concept if you think about it. Right. And it, it does take us right back to those limiting beliefs, right? Yes. Um, yes. So, so it's a perfect uh, circle of, of uh, 
how to break out of that prison then is to really start deconstructing your belief system um, and, and really challenge, you know, I, I love, um, well, the Katie Byron's work is uh, always asked the first question, um, is it true? And I'm not an expert in her work, but I, I think that that is always a fabulous starting point yeah. when you're trying to, to challenge and grow within yourself is when you come up with some, you know, something you think is, you know, is the truth. So you got to ask yourself, wait a second, is that in fact true, right? Do, mm-hmm. do I actually need that person to approve of me to, to feel okay about myself? Um, and I, I always come back to the, that, little quote, you know, you can't please all the people all the time, right? You can please some of the people, some of the time, uh, all mm-hmm. the, you know, I, I can't remember exactly how you it goes. You can't please all the people. All the, yeah, you're right. That's yeah. But, right, um, but you, you know, in the end, you can't please all the people all the time. And the sooner you start to accept that and just live out your version of truth and your version of reality, um, you're going to, you're going to be further down the pike than someone who's trying to constantly catch up to if I just act like this, then I'll get the approval. If I just like act like this, I'll get the approval. Um, And so you'll be more attractive as a human if you're just being yourself and the people that don't connect with you will fall off. And the people that do connect with you will come along for the ride. And that's enough. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's very freeing to get to that place. I can't speak to that. I've fully achieved that necessarily, but in bits and pieces, I think I have, and I commend all of us for trying. And if you're listening to this podcast, you're certainly probably a person who's trying to learn, grow, progress in your life. Uh, but yeah, step by step by step, we can get there, but it's, it's, uh, you know, I saw someone had some quote again, I'll probably butcher this quote a little bit, but it was essentially something to the effect of as, as things come and go in your life and relationships that it's not that you're losing anything, you're aligning, uh, you know, if you're, if you're on the right path and, and working towards progress, you're aligning. We've talked in this podcast about, and people probably roll their eyes cause they know what I'm going to say, but the word joy means alignment. And so we're aligning ourselves a little bit over time. You know, I, somebody taught me that about, the word joy in Hebrew means that. Okay. Um, oh, that's very, I love that so much. Yeah. yeah it's I, real important I keep having to... an image of like a upward triangle arrow where, you know, the more clear you get, the more you ascend into those, you know, realms of joy. Yeah. You said something about being yourself as well. And, you know, I was reading something last night, oddly enough, that said that in as much as you can bring yourself to be yourself, it's, it's a very freeing place to be as well, because you have no competition. You're not trying to be something you're not, you're not trying to fit some mold that someone else created. And a lot of people get caught up in that, even on social media. Oh, this is how you're supposed to do it. And this is how pictures are supposed to look and so on. Be yourself, be creative and just like open to yourself. And somehow I found personally, I don't want to get too mystical here, but the universe will shed light into your mind and soul as to what you are and what you can do and be in this life when you free yourself from these, these self-imposed prisons, chains, enslavements that, that we do to ourselves. Um, as, yeah, as we absolutely. go ahead, what else did you want to add? If anything? Well, no, I mean, it, I think that's perfect. And it, it really does speak to the, um, the power of, of blowing up the limiting beliefs. Um, yes. And, and, you know, it's so interesting. We talk about becoming ourselves and, sometimes that can mean adding on things and sometimes it can mean shedding things. And lately I think that there's definitely a stage of development where we, it's like we're chipping away at some, I know there's a story about a solid gold Buddha statue, some that uh, was found by, you know, explorers after some revolution in the country. Uh And it was all, you know, just this ugly statue of Buddha. But when they started uh, exploring it more, they realized it was, clay that could be chipped away and there was actually a solid gold buddha within it it had been kind of disguised mm. to keep it safe wow <laughs> um and and i always think of humans more like that where we have all of our conditioning from our environment and our genetics is kind of like the clay and then we get to chip away it, it over the course of our life to get down to the solid gold center um that is there um and then the cool thing is then you can also add on to that right you don't you're not limited by what your your center is you can then make some choices to you know add on the pieces that you think will suit you well and serve the the your purpose on the planet 
Yeah, I love that. That's great. And that story is interesting, very <laughs> intriguing. I, um, as we as we get ready to close here, again, we could go for hours and hours. And I appreciate all your amazing insights. Um, let's talk real quick about imposter syndrome. This is something a lot of people have been talking about the last few years. I've noticed in particular. Um, what is that? And what do we do about it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you'd think that would be a quick a quick topic. Um, but <laughs> it, it, it's actually a slight um, out, out branch, I guess, you know, branch of perfectionism, but not really. It's, um, it's when you are operating at a certain level in your life in the world and you have this inner fear or belief that you are a fraud um, so that you don't deserve the accolades or the praise people are giving you, or you think other people think you're a fraud. Um, and that if they just knew the truth, you know, you'd be in big, you'd be found out because you are not actually that awesome person that you are seeming to be on the outside. And so um, a lot of high performing people um, who have high expectations of themselves apparently have this as kind of their inner state of being that they're sure that if somebody really knew they would be called out as a fraud. Um, I have not personally experienced this, but I I went to school with people who I understand have had this um, happen to them. Uh, And I think, you know, a lot of high level professionals who do attain some level of like um, being famous or some notoriety um, can, can have this crop up. However, that being said, normal people, <laughs> listen to us, listen, you, Phil, or me, we can also have these little episodes of it where we have these growing edges where we actually are expanding into a new area and we're learning a new skill. And so there can be that time when our skills have gotten to a certain level, but our inner identity has not caught up to that level. Mm-hmm. And so then we can have a shorter period of time where we can feel like a fraud um, until our sense of our identity catches up to our new level of mastery. Yeah. And I, I use an example of where I learned to play ice hockey as an adult uh, yeah. when I was 39 years old. And I, I thought because I was a fabulous, <laughs> listen to me, I'm like, oh, I'm such a great athlete. I say this <laughs> d- dripping sarcasm. I yes. should be able to learn how to play hockey, right? And so I yeah. went in that uh, experience very naively thinking I would be able to pick it up. And I found it very, very, very challenging. And uh, I, I was terrible for the entire first year I played. No one wanted to play with me. I was like the last one to be picked on a team. And I must say that that had never happened to me in my life before. So, you know, it was a new humbling experience. Um, but the cool thing was I stuck with it. So that next year I got better, the next year I got better. And eventually I actually, you know, became one of the better players, was captain of the team. Um, but oh. my identity uh, as a quote hockey player didn't come until several years after I started playing. You know, I was just, I felt like I was just faking it, you know, like how they say, I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so I didn't feel like I was actually a, a real hockey player until my skill set uh, and my personal identity joined together. Um, and that, that can happen whenever you, you know, learn a new, uh, skill, you go to another career. You know, when I became a psychotherapist, uh, there's always that learning curve where, uh, you know, you're just not sure if you're doing what everyone else thinks you're doing at the level that you hope you are. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of a normal, healthy, short-term imposter syndrome that normal, healthy people will catch up to, you know, your sense of identity will start to align with your skills. Um, but some people have a persistent problem over time where they never do feel good enough. Um, and they, and that is because their inner belief systems haven't been updated, um, to get to where they actually are in the world. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I've, you know, I've heard of people losing sleep over this and uh, all kinds of things, this, this idea of this imposter syndrome. But again, we're touching really a tip of an iceberg. We've gotten pretty in depth in some things, but uh, still, again, people can go, you've got all these trainings and things available and you're constantly doing uh, through your Facebook group, you know, becoming boundless. Uh, so people can go in there, request to be members and, uh, access some of these video trainings and ask you questions and all these things from what I've seen and experienced myself. It's uh, 
really quite enlightening. So I commend you for doing all that. And I know you've got to run here, but again, I would reiterate uh, apropositive.com, just like it sounds, A-P-R-O, positive, altogether.com, and then Kirsten at that same domain, apropositive.com. And of course, the Becoming Boundless group we just mentioned again. And uh, I can't thank you enough for your time and just, you know, tons of really valuable insights. And we may have to, we might wear out our audience, but we may have to bring you back again. And uh, <laughs> well, I'd be happy to be sure. back. So uh, this is always a fun, uh, you know, entertaining and deep discussion with you, Phil. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. And to, to our audience, we're flattered you spend time with us. Thank you. And uh, until next time, empower yourself, empower the world around you. Thanks so much for listening to Empower Humans. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review this podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit EmpowerHumans.com. We'll catch you next time.